0: look at your notes and I want you to think, and really look at your life and think about how life-threatening crisis uh, can come to us at any time. It's just so true. I, I think of our missionaries, Jim and Sharon Smith, whose son, Zach, was in his 30s, married with children and had to lead his family in how to accept his death. And uh, cancer took him. And they had to deal with these issues. Uh, just, I, I talked to my daughter about, hey, the moment you were born, you were dying. You are dying. Uh, death is a reality. You so say, that's kind of morbid. But you realize that at Northgate Middle School, where she goes, already in just the three years that she's been there, two deaths. Already in three years. And, uh, and, and we're not talking about violent deaths. We're just talking about sickness, illness, life-threatening disease. A young gal just last week was there in gym class and, and had, a, had a, an attack and, and went to the hospital. And sadly, the principal had to send out word a few days later. She's dead. She's dead. So, you know, don't be afraid to talk to your kids about life-threatening realities. In fact, Trina and I were just talking about a mother on her cell phone who, who uh, drifted over with her kids in the car and got, had a head-on collision, and she is gone and her husband, or kids, or like, so these things happen. So here's the question: We're all. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go when our turn comes? And it will come sooner than you think. And the reality is, it, you need to think through where you're going to turn, or better, to whom are you going to turn? See, that's the panic when you when you don't have. A person to turn to, because unfortunately what we often do, we turn to the people that we most rely on, and in, if we were honest, that we've really made into our gods. But the problem is when you're facing a life-threatening disease and you turn to those people, well, you're like us pastors at a funeral. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves So we turn people to the one who can, who is, as we've been studying, the I am God. The I am God and remember what's in a name what's in the name I am everything you will ever need is in the name of the I am God and so in the face of life and death situations we're going to look at I am the resurrection and the life let's say that together I am the resurrection and the life and of course that's Jesus saying that turn your Bibles John chapter 11 Oh, I'm so excited. What a great chapter to be studying on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. John 11, the famous story of Lazarus rising from the dead or being raised from the dead. So let's look in John chapter 11. We're we're skipping over I am the light in uh, John chapter uh, 8. We're skipping over I am the good shepherd in 9 and 10. We'll come back to that. It was interesting, though, as I was rereading and looking over this chapter, it's like John assumes we already know those things. But, okay, we're going to catch them next week. Turn to John chapter 11. and Let's look at verses 1 through 3 and get the context a little bit. Notice John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. In fact, they were all brothers and sisters. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And did you notice three times? He's sick, he's sick, he's sick. It's a serious sickness. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, here's a family that's facing a life-threatening crisis in the life of a loved one. And we see the crisis, and we see who they turn to. They turn to Jesus, the I Am God. But here's the reality. They don't know he's that yet. They, They know he's great. They're following him. They believe in him, but they don't really know who he really is, who they are following. And that really reveals a lot of us. In fact, in some ways, it reveals all of us, doesn't it? Oh, we know Jesus is great. We know he's a great teacher. We know he made some claims. He did some miracles. We know these things, and we're following him. And maybe you really believe in him, but you don't quite really know who it is that you're falling. Because here's what I would put forth to you. Until you really face death, you don't know who Jesus is. Until you really face the reality of your mortality, the reality that I am dying, I will die, it will come sooner than I think, and there is nothing I can do to stop it, you really don't understand who Jesus is until you face that reality. They know he can perform amazing miracles. They have no doubt that he can perform healings. They know he can even prevent death because he's already done that in John 4. He kept a a young lady, a a daughter that was going to die. He kept her from dying. What they do not know yet is he's the resurrection and the life because here's the reality about resurrection. Resurrection means nothing until something has died. Think on that a little bit. See. A resurrection means nothing until someone dies. And we're no different than the family. We may think we know who Jesus is, but until we know him as the resurrection and the life, we don't really know him. Because here's the reality. Listen, we don't just need a, a Savior to help us. We need, we need a Savior who can resurrect us. We just don't need a Savior who can help us when life gets tough. We need a Savior who can help us when life ends and see sometimes we just see as jesus as you know jesus i can just live i'm getting long life really good every once in a while i hit a bump and that's when i need you well what happens when that bump is a bottomless pit and there's no way out then we need the resurrection and the life so here's my prayer that this will help all of us face death whenever it comes and it'll be sooner than we think with a greater understanding and a greater trust in the I am God, who is the resurrection and the life. Now, here's what we see in this chapter. As we move through this chapter, it's full of death and life, the whole chapter. Death is threatening the life of Lazarus. The disciples are going to fear that they may die if they go with Jesus back to Jerusalem. Death is going to destroy the hopes of Mary and Martha, of, of Lazarus being healed without dying. Death is finally going to take Lazarus' life. And death is what ultimately the Jewish leaders are going to plan for Jesus because he performs this miracle. There's death all through this. And into this chapter of death and dying, look at John 11, 25 through 26. In this chapter of death and dying, in John 11, 25 through 26, Jesus steps in and he says these words. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the kicker. Do you believe this? Here's really what this lesson's going to do. The m- purpose of this chapter and what Jesus wants to do in our heart and lives is to take the doctrine of the resurrection from your head and move it into your heart. You know, you probably wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't think Jesus rose from the dead and if you didn't believe it. But the reality is we have it up here, but is that how we live? So here's what we're going to find out. There's basically uh, six major sections to this chapter. We're going to look at the first five of them. And the first thing we see, and we've seen it in verses one through three, is the family has a life-saving desire. They have a desire, a life-saving desire. Jesus, the one you love, is dying, and our desire is that you... Prevent him from dying, that you heal him of this deadly sickness. He had a life-threatening disease. That's why I think it's mentioned three times. It was a serious sickness. The family was a dedicated family. This wasn't just any family. This was the family that was, in a sense, Jesus' spiritual family. This was the place that he would go to for rest and relaxation. You know, there's just some people that you can always go into their home and and you feel like you're one of them, you're accepted as as if you were family, you can be yourself, they know your warts, they know all your weirdness, your strangeness, they even know your sins, but they accept you, they love you, and you just be who you are. Now, Jesus was sinless. You say, well, that's easy to accept. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Being sinless and perfect Makes you very hard to accept by an imperfect world. But these folks let him come into his home. They loved him. As as it says, this is Mary who anointed his feet. This hasn't even happened yet. It's going to happen in John chapter 12. The point is, these people were willing to sacrifice their lives for Jesus. Why wouldn't they ask him to come and save the life of their loved ones? You ever prayed for the life of someone to be spared death? Have you ever prayed for someone you deeply loved to the Savior you loved and asked them to heal them? That's what's happening. They have a life-saving desire. Now, I think it's really interesting. If you look at verse 3 of uh, this chapter, if you look at verse 3, the sister sent to him. They don't demand anything from Jesus. They don't ask anything, but it's clear what their desire is because later in the chapter, two times, both sisters says, if you had been here, He wouldn't have died. So we know what their desire is, but I think it's interesting. They don't demand. They don't ask. What they do talk about is how much they love their brother and how much Jesus loves their brother. So you, you see the setup. They're all set up for it. Look, we love him. You love him. He loves you. Right? They assume that Jesus' great love for Lazarus will move Jesus to heal him and not allow him to die. But here's what happens. Number two, a life-costing delay. Here they have this life-saving desire, but Jesus Jesus delays and it costs Lazarus his life. This is radical. Look at uh, verse uh, 4. He says, The one whom you love is ill. Now, if you just pause there, what would we expect? We would expect, and Jesus immediately got on his donkey and rode. Right? And isn't that how we pray? This is how we pray. Hey, just in case you didn't know, my loved one's dying. I'm in this this life-threatening crisis. And because you love me and I love you, I know if I just inform you, you will ride in and save the day. But look at verse four, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, again, you're like, he gets on his donkey and rides. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, is that just radical? I thought when I prayed, God was supposed to move. Prayer moves God. Life-threatening crisis, God come in, deliver, save. We love you, I love you, I'm so dedicated, I give to you, I live for you. Come on, move in. And God says, yeah, you know, this this is a great moment. Let's hang out for two more days. Wow, wow. Okay, so let's look at this thing. Let's look at this life-costing delay. He stayed where he was. Now, there's a lot of information packed in these few verses we just read, along with a lot of questions. But what's the most obvious question that you should be asking right now? Why? Why did he delay? Exactly? Is that? I mean, that shouldn't take that long for you guys to come up with that. I mean, why should that? Why would he delay? Because we come up with it real quick when it's our prayers, right, that are delayed. Now, we don't know exactly how far jesus was from bethany when he heard this news we don't know how long it would have taken him to exactly to get there exactly when lazarus died you know we don't know if he waited to if the two days was to wait until lazarus actually died we don't know if he waited two days so that he could be dead for four days because by the time he gets there lazarus has been dead four days which means his body is the king you know it stinketh. okay it stinketh. sometimes it's good to have the old English there. it stinking. He stinks. He's rotting. He's not just dead. He's rotting. body is rotting. So here's the deal. In the end, it doesn't matter how far away Jesus was because Jesus doesn't have to be present to heal. We already know that from John 4. In John 4, a person, a, uh, an official came whose daughter was dying and said, Look, I want you to come and uh, and heal. And, and Jesus said, I don't have to come. It's happened. And when he found out, I think it was his servant, not his daughter, I'm sorry. When he found out when the person was healed, it was at the very moment that Jesus said "He's healed. So the reality is it doesn't matter how far Jesus was away. The point is he delayed performing the miracle. Why? Well, all the answers that we need are in these four, these three verses, four through six. Look at these verses. And let me give you four lessons on the Lord's delays in life, life's crisis, because this is the norm. The norm is he doesn't get on his donkey and ride. The norm is we pray and there is a delay. Why? Same reasons. Here they are. Number one, his delays are planned. Please understand that. When God is delaying, it is planned. It is a part of his plan. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Nothing's out of the control of the I am God. He could have said at that moment, Lazarus be healed, and Lazarus would have been healed. He could have uh, he could have snapped his fingers and went from one place to the other and never had to move a step. I mean, he can do all these things. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing surprises him. In fact, he tells us what he's really going to do. This illness is not unto death. But it was. What's he saying? He already knows what he's going to do. He already knows. And he's going to do it on his timetable, not ours. And so we got to understand it's planned. The delay is planned. And because it's planned, it's got a purpose. And that's really good news. Number two, his delays are purposeful. It's planned and it's purposeful. And in these verses, in verse 4, we see two reasons for his purpose purpose in delaying his answers in our life-threatening crisis and the purposes are twofold he delay his delays are planned for the glory of god this is what he says he says look in verse four but when jesus heard it he said this illness is not to will does not lead to death it is for what the glory of god so that the son may glorify through it see we want him to answer to relieve our life-threatening crisis we want him to save our loved one we want him to do what will bring us the greatest peace and the, and, the, and the greatest happiness. And he says, I'm not here about you. I am here about glorifying my father through you. And sometimes that's a rocky ride. But it's a purposeful one. When we face a life-threatening delay, I am just like you, we ask God, why the delay? But what we really need to be asking is this. Please catch it. How, God, are you going to use this delay for your glory through your son? That's what you've got to ask. You will naturally ask why. That's okay. Ask it and then set it aside, realizing that the answer is this. I'm using this delay to glorify myself through my son. My mom for 10 months, lived in hospital. Just a strong woman. Stronger you are, some of you exercise nuts. Be careful. The stronger you are, the longer it takes to die. She had the organs of a woman 10, 20 years younger than what she was. And therefore, there was 10 months. 10 months. I remember, you know, first or second month, Finally coming home and just crying my eyes out with the realization my mom's going to die. But it took seven, eight more months for that to happen. And I was okay with that because I knew, God, I I, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you are delaying this for a purpose. May we discover that purpose. May we align ourselves for that purpose. Because you always delay for a purpose. Sure, I prayed, Lord, take her now. But really, what was that about? It was about her, and it was about us, and it was about my dad. That sounds real noble. But there's one greater than our family, and it's him. And I want him to have the greatest purpose and power and and plan for that. Because ultimately... His purpose to glorify him is to bring more people to believe in him. And that's why it's for the good of others. It's for the glory of God and it's for the good of others. In fact, when you go through this passage, look at verses 14 and 15 in this passage. It says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there for your sake. I'm glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Look again at verse 40 to Martha. He says the same thing to in verse 40. He says, Jesus said to her. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 25. Verse 25 is Martha. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you disciples believe this? And then he says it again to Mary. Look at verse 40. This time it's the other sister. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then in verse 42, when he's in front of the tomb... And every, all the mourners are there. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And then finally, in verse 45, again, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. You can't miss through this passage. The delay is for the glory of God and for the good of others to believe in him. So if you have a loved one that's suffering, do you? if you're in a life-threatening crisis, it's okay to pray for their healing. It's okay to pray for God to take them soon. But the thing you need to be praying is, Lord, I know your purpose in this is to glorify you and bring more people to belief in you. So if my loved one is going to suffer, may it be for your glory in bringing more people to you. That, that's real hope. That is real hope. Thirdly, his delays are personal. His delays are personal. Because, you know, we can get real abstract about the glory of God and bringing others to Christ, but let's get honest. When it's our brother that's dying, when it's our mother, our dad, it just gets real. Life gets real focused. You ever been there? I mean, I remember this, and as a pastor, I've been on both sides. I've been on the on the side of being attacked and accused by grieving families. You weren't here enough. You don't care. You didn't mention it to the church. Well, hello, we're imperfect. But I understand where that comes from. Because when it was my mom for those 10 months, it's like, man, life's going on as normal. You know, what's up with Pastor Bruce? What's up with, with my group? What's up with whatever, you know? And thankfully, being a pastor, I was able to step back one step and say, oh, okay, what's going on is it's not their mom. They love me. They love my family. They're praying, but it's not their mom. No one's going to grieve like you do. No one's going to care like you do. Don't get bitter. Don't start. And, and when you turn that way, it's pity party time right? It's a pity party. And then you get mad and angry and it just go, it doesn't do anything. But if you'll remember this, God's delays are personal. I think it's amazing that before this delay comes, it is said, you love him. And it says, Jesus love, you know, it, it's bracketed by the love of Jesus. Listen, he doesn't do this in an impersonal way because he doesn't care. He does it in a compassionate way that is deeply personal, who he's right there with you. And we're going to see in a moment, he cries, Jesus wept. He gets angry at death. He gets angry at unbelief. So he's got that emotional connection with you, if you will just understand that and trust. And then the fourth thing, and this is the good news, his delays are never permanent. They're planned, they're purposeful, they're personal, but praise God, though He delays, they're never permanent. And He tells us that this illness does not lead to death. But He died. Yeah, but that's not the end of the story, okay? And listen, folks, that's why sharing the gospel with your loved ones, that's why praying for people's spiritual. Transformation is so important so that when they do die, there is hope beyond the grave. Can I hear an amen on that one? Do you see what I'm saying? It, when they're dead, it's too late. And so you, 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 the passion, the purpose, the desire is to share the gospel. Here's what Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he knew all about it. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those He, those he, he these he called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good? So even a delay cannot separate us from his love. So here we are. We come to the third uh, section of the story, and here, here, here's how I, I, would, I would describe it. It's a life-threatening decision. Jesus makes a life-threatening decision. Because here's the thing. Again, this isn't just about Lazarus and his family. For Jesus to go to Lazarus means to go into the fire where his enemies want to kill him. So let's look at verses 7 through 16. Then after he said these things to his disciples, he said, let us go to Judea again. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? See, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're all for Lazarus, unless it costs them something. Okay, Now, Jesus, we care about you, so you stay. Yeah. No. They care about themselves. Notice what he is. Jesus answered, are, you, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world, which he had already taught them. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. Now the disciples are, are clinging to any reason not to go back to Jerusalem or in the vicinity. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. You know, he'll get better. A little medicine, a little, little prayer on your behalf, you know, he'll, he'll be better. We don't need to go there. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his disciples, old doubting Thomas, Let us go also that we may die with him. Don't you love that? Don't you love it? Okay, he's an idiot. We can't convince him. He's doing crazy things. We love him, though. Let's go die with him. And let's go die Lazarus is dying. We're all dying. Death is inevitable. Let us go. Praise Jesus. All right. Isn't that funny? I mean, that's just great. Isn't that great? It's just great. So here's five lessons in about following Jesus into a life-threatening, uh, a life-threatening situation. Because that's the thing. Here, here, here's the deal. To, to follow Jesus means you're going to be called at times into life-threatening situations. To minister to others will mean putting yourself at risk of losing your own life. I talk beyond my level of pay here. Okay, you know we 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 I, I don't even want to go there, but we you know we we measure why whether we're going to get on in, into ministry or not by you know what what's it going to cost me? You know I mean these really irrelevant things. Jesus says, "What's going to cost you?" is your life, maybe even physically. Listen, we're never going to win the world to Christ thinking we're only going to go to the safe places. Do you understand? The safe places have mostly already gotten the gospel and the place where the majority of people who have never heard of Christ, who have never heard the gospel, who don't have a clue what Easter is today are in places where it will cost people their lives. to share. So here's some five lessons we can learn. We'll just go through them quickly. First of all, we are unstoppable until we have completed the work that God has called us to do. We are unstoppable until we have completed the work. Listen, if you go into a life-threatening situation for Jesus, you'll walk right through it alive if he's got more for you to do. And it's just an amazing truth. It's, it's, you look at some of the great ministers, and they have this sense where they know my work is done. You know, I'm over. I mean, it happened to Moses. I've been reading I'm on, what, day 88 of reading, you know, reading through the Bible for the rest of the year. And Moses, Jesus, uh, God said to him, Moses, your work's done. And you know what it means when your work's done? He means he takes you. He takes you home because your work is done. Listen, if you're here breathing, listen, if he's calling you to something, you're going to make it through it because you're unstoppable until the work is done. Jesus says, walk in the light while there's light. Listen. Now, this is what I'm going to do, so let's go do it. Don't let fear stop you from following Jesus. Number two, the best place in all the world is the center of God's will. The best place in all the world is the center of God's will, even if it isn't always the safest. Okay? God calls our children. He calls us. I mean, typically parents have to struggle with this. He calls us, and he calls our kids to go somewhere, and you go, do you not understand? You know, one of the famous missionaries uh, went to um, a place where there are cannibals. You know, Do you not understand? There's cannibals. The cannibals may eat you. And he said, look, you're going to die and worms are going to eat you. What does it matter whether I'm eaten by worms or cannibals? I'm doing what Jesus wants. The best place to ever be, even if it isn't the safest, is in the center of walking in the light. Because here's the deal. You can be here in the safest place on earth, and if it's not where God wants you, you're walking in darkness. Wow. And I can be in the darkest place on this planet, surrounded by the lost, threatening my life, and I can be in the center and the light of what God has for me. Number three, those who truly love the Lord and others are willing to sacrifice their lives. Serving others. Those who truly love the Lord and others are willing to sacrifice their lives in serving others. Notice what he says in verse 11. These guys say, do you not understand the Jews are trying to kill you? And here's what he says. Two very important words. Our friend, Lazarus. Our friend. Guys, this is our friend. What does the Bible say in John 15? No greater love does someone have than this, than to lay down his life, what? For his friend. If Jesus only served in the safe places, he would never went to the cross, and if he had not went to the cross, there wouldn't be a resurrection. Remember what I said? if there's a resurrection, there has to be a death. And Jesus was allowed allow he was willing to face death to save us. and we need to face death and it may not be physical death, but it's dying daily in order to serve others. Amen. Number four, we do not seek martyrdom like Thomas. let's go die. We don't seek martyrdom, but to fulfill a mission with a faith that obeys and a love that sacrifices. He says, let us go that they may believe. He's he's not into martyrdom. He's into the mission. And the mission is, if I have to die for others to believe, then I'm going to fulfill the mission. Thomas wasn't about believing anything. Let us go die with him. If I've got to go to church to love Jesus, let's go to church. All right, now I've got to give. Let's give. Let's die some more for Jesus. Oh, my God, I mean, i got to hand out eggs, too. Okay, let's hand out eggs. You mean I do this every week, serving coffee or or sound or setting up, you know, who knows? Do Do you realize that even when Audra gets wild and crazy like this, she does that every week to serve us. But ultimately, to serve Jesus. Amen? Aren't you glad? They're they're glad. They're glad. Listen, it's about, let, let, let me give you this illustration. The world, do you realize the world is full of martyrs who are foolish or reckless or ignorant or deceived or resigned to despair? Jesus doesn't call his followers to be suicide bombers. Jesus doesn't call his followers to be religious zealots that pour themselves with gasoline and ignite themselves on fire to show their devotion to God. He's not into martyrdom, he's into mission. Did you realize that the word for witness and martyr is the same Greek word? Not all martyrs are witnesses. Some are false, you know, believers. And not all witnesses are going to be martyrs. But here's the reality. To truly witness about Jesus, you have to die to self. You have to face death. See, Thomas unwittingly, unknowingly presented the gospel to the rest of of Jesus' followers. Because here's what he says. Let us us also go that we may die with. him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Later, Thomas got this figured out. When you go with Jesus, he bids men come and die. Wow. Number five, for the faithful faithful follower, that's a mouthful, for the faithful follower, death is not the end but the beginning. Death is not the end but the beginning. Lazarus needed to die so that there could be a greater beginning. Okay, so now we come to the fourth section. Jesus, they finally get there. This is all just to get to the place where the guy's dying. Well, actually where he's dead. Here's life-revealing declarations. Jesus moves into the situation, and he makes life-revealing declarations. Let's read it. Look at verse 17, verses 17 through 32. Notice what he says. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Surprise, surprise. Bethany was not was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Martha remained seated in the house, true to their personalities. Martha's like, he's just not getting here soon enough. I must go her, you know, tell him that it's too late. Martha was so helpful in those ways. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But let me tell you, Lord, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, it sounds like he's she's believing that, hey, even though he's dead, You know, but that's not really what 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 she's saying is this, Lord, just like us, Lord, you let us down, but we still believe you let us down, but we're not going to rub your nose in it. You let us down, but we're still going to trust you, which is a noble thing. If it's still kind of half hearted, you know, it's just not getting who she's talking to. So notice Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And, 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 and I think Martha interrupted him. I think he was going to say more. And like we do, oh, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. Look at what he says. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, I got my doctrine right. I, I you know, I celebrate Easter before Easter, Jesus. You know, I mean, I, I got this, I got this down. I know about the resurrection last day. I know God can take care of it. And I know you're a good teacher and you've taught us well. See what? It's their view of Jesus. Now notice, Jesus said to her, and here it is. I'm about to rock your world. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now let me ask you a question, Martha. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, she's still thinking future. Yeah, I I got my doctrine. But she needs it in her heart. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. In other words, I've had enough confronting for the time. It's your turn, Mary. It's your turn. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, see, they wanted to go to the tomb, and she went to Jesus. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him exact same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me give you the four or the three uh, life changing declarations. All right. The first one is this. I am the resurrection and the life. He corrects Martha's misunderstanding about who he really is. He's not just a messenger. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He is God. Okay, I'm going to say something. We don't come to Jesus to get to the resurrection. We don't come to Jesus to get to eternal life. He is the resurrection. He is the life. See, that's why a lot of people have a lot of false hope about people being in heaven and themselves being in heaven. And the key question is not, are you going to be in heaven? Do you have eternal life? Are you going to be resurrected? The key question is, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't know my Jesus, then you don't know resurrection and you don't know life. You've got to get the doctrine off, out of the Bible, off of a doctrinal statement, out of your head, and you've got to trust it with your head and with your heart in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's really my burden for you this Easter. I I I don't want you to sit through this. This is to me, it's a great lesson. I'm teaching it. Great lesson. Okay. I hope you are. No ones left. Too many haven't left, and those that left are coming back. So uh, here's the deal. I want you to get this. That it's Jesus. This is about Him. Here's the second declaration. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Though he may die. See, this is the hope of the believer. Even though believers die, what's the good news? They will yet live. Okay? They shall live. That's the resurrection. Look at the third statement. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, wait a minute. I thought Lazarus dead. What do you mean he'll never die? Because here's the deal. Death for the believer is graduation. One, one famous uh, follower of Christ said this, When you hear that I'm dead, don't weep for me, because I will never be more alive than on that day. That's who Jesus really is. So that brings us to the last part. G- Life-restoring demands. Life-reviving, restoring demands. Let's look at verses 33 through 34. Notice what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. You could write in your Bible, he was angry. Because that's what the word means. Angry, deeply moved in his spirit, and greatly troubled. And he said, said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? And that's true. Hey, if a loved one dies and you you know and, and there's no sadness, it's because you didn't love the person. Okay, so I hope when you all come to my funeral, you, all, you cry. Okay, and and even if you don't, let my family feel good and think that you did. You know, cry. It's okay to cry as believers. So the Jews said, "See how he loved him." But some of them said, "Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying?" They are questioning. Jesus' claims of who he really is. And we do this too. When he doesn't come through like we think, we say, I thought you were. If only you had been here. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He's angry again. And this time he's angry about their unbelief. He came to the tomb. He came to the tomb. Now, let's look at this. Four demands that he makes. Well, let's read on a little farther. They came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Now, that's an understatement, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And here's, these, these words are even better than the come out one. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Good stuff. All right, here we go. A demand regarding the place of death. Where have you laid him? There's two powerful emotions joined, shown by Jesus in this passage. One is human sadness. It's okay to mourn. One is human sadness. The second is holy anger at the consequences of sin and the unbelief of those around him. It's okay to get angry at death. It's okay to weep over death, all right? We should have a different uh, perspective of the place of death. We weep, but not as those without any hope. Here's the second demand, and I love this one. A demand regarding the perspective of death. Roll that stone away. Roll that stone away. Why? Because death isn't the final answer. You know, it's like saying, open that casket. It's like dig open that grave. Listen, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. I love it. We can change our our perspective. Death is not permanent. And that's the number third, that's the third demand, a demand regarding the permanence of death. Lazarus, come forth. Death can be reversed. Is that awesome? Be reversed. And then the fourth demand is this. A de- demand regarding the pull of death, and that's this. Where I want to leave you today. Let him loose. Let him loose. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you've made some transitions today. And here, here's the transitions. Number one, you believe the resurrection. You're here. You believe in Easter, but you're like Mary and Martha. It's a doctrine but you don't really trust Jesus as your Savior to save you. You believe in Jesus, but you're just not trusting Him with your sins. You haven't crossed the line from unbelief to belief. You haven't taken what you believe about Jesus and and allowed Him to change your heart. So I hope that you make that transition today. But I know many of you, by your own profession of faith, You've made that transition. You've stepped from unbelief to belief in giving him your sins. And you believe that he died for you. You believe all that. And you're like Lazarus. You're out of the tomb. But you're still wrapped up in your grave clothes. And Jesus is saying to you, the pull of death, the pull of sin hey, if, I'm, if I can raise you up when you die, if I can save you when you die, I can save you from your sin right now. Don't let the pull of sin control. We're celebrating the resurrection. That means tomorrow when you wake up and it feels like the devil is sitting on your face, you claim the resurrection and you say, I am not only come forth, but I am unbound. By the bondage of sin. Jesus is my Savior. I have the power of the resurrection. I can walk forward today sinning less. Not sinless, but sinning less. That's the hope of the resurrection. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come and we are amazed because we're like Martha, we're like Mary, and to be honest, we're like Lazarus. We're we're dead and dying. And you promise the resurrection. And so I pray for those that haven't crossed over from death into life, that haven't been called out of their death and out of their sin and out of their guilt, that they would be set free this morning. But I also pray that those of us who have been called out into life, and we know the resurrection, that we would live the resurrection, and the pull and the bondage of sin would be no more. Father, we pray for that. We rejoice in that for one simple reason. Christ is risen. And God's people say, He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Celebrate it. Celebrate it.